If you've got a Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13. If you don't know where Samuel is, have a look at the front of your Bibles in the contents or the index. Uh, we'll come to that in a minute. But I wanted to begin this morning by asking your question. And the question is, um, how is your heart? How is your heart this morning? There's a, there's a verse that we'll come to in 1 Samuel chapter 13. It's verse 14 and it reads like this. It says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Bible, when you read the Bible, the Bible spends quite a lot of time um, focusing on the condition of this thing it calls the heart. And uh, the, the biblical perspective, obviously, it's not, it's not viewing the heart the same way that a cardiologist might view uh, our hearts. Um, when a cardiologist checks you your out to see if you've got, I don't know, like a heart murmur or a leaking valve or whatever it is that people have wrong with their hearts, they're examining that, um, that organ that we call the heart. Uh, all a cardiologist is interested in is that, that muscle in our chest that kind of pumps blood around our system. But when you read the Bible, in sort of over 700 verses, where the Bible talks about the heart, it has virtually nothing to do with this physical thing in our chests. The Bible is using uh, this word, this, this phrase, the heart, uh, to describe, it's, it's tricky, but it's sort of, trying to describe what we're really like. It's, it's sort of referring to that um, governing center of ourselves, if you like. You know, the source of our um, inner life, our inner person, the, the, the real you sort of thing. The, the source of our feelings and our um, emotions, our thoughts, our, our decisions. It's sort of like what we're like at the core. So you, you read verses like one... Samuel 16, verse 7, it says, The Lord doesn't look at the things that man looks at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, above everything else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Everything you do flows from it. In Deuteronomy 6, we're told, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The psalmist cries out in uh, Psalm 86, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. David goes on in Psalm 51. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Even in, in Matthew chapter 8, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. But the world in which we find ourselves, um, it tends to focus uh, on the external things, on, on outward appearance. It, it tends to focus on, on what you know, or who you know, or how much you know, or how much you earn, or what you own, or what you look like. Everything around us, the culture in which we find ourselves, is, is very, very interested in all this external, outward trappings. But God is interested in the internal stuff. 
He's interested in what's going on inside us. He's interested in our hearts. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look at a man who neglected his heart. We're going to look at the life of King Saul. Um, as an illustration, really, as someone who didn't develop a heart for God. Someone whose heart wasn't really in great uh, shape. Someone whose heart really became hardened and, um, and pretty callous. And so today I want to kind of use him as a bit of a contrast to look at what it might mean for us to have good hearts, healthy hearts, hearts that are in good shape. So how is it that we get to have a good, healthy heart? You know, not in the physical sense, uh, but in the biblical sense. How, how does this come about? Well, one of the first things I think is that... Uh, A good heart comes about when we actually value um, and pay attention to the state and the condition of our hearts. It's when we actually pay attention to what's going on in our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your hearts. Watch over your hearts. Protect your hearts. Guard your hearts. Everything you do flows from it. Another translation puts it like this. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And when you look at the life of Saul, he's really, um, I think he's one of history's sort of tragic figures. Uh, He was the first king of Israel. Uh, He was the first king of God's chosen people. He could have gone down in history as greater than, I don't know, Napoleon or Alexander the Great or whatever. He was, he was definitely up there in terms of firsts. But sadly, when we look back on the life of Saul, his life really serves as a bit of a warning lesson to us as to what can happen if we neglect our hearts, if we're not paying attention to our hearts. Um, Saul was uh, he was a man, if it had been published in 1000 BC, he would have regularly appeared in something like Hello magazine. Uh, he was one of those sort of uh, celebrities of the ancient world where, you know, the paparazzi would have been snapping him as he was on holiday in the Med. Uh, Saul would have been quoted on every news show, um, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. He was kind of up there. Uh, he was uh, tall, apparently. Uh, apparently, he was very good looking. Uh, he's very charismatic. He was a great military tactician so he had all of this stuff going for him but the real travesty of his life is that he neglected uh, his heart he didn't pay attention to his heart he really was a bit of an empty shell he's this external picture of success and greatness and inside he was just a bit of a car crash a bit empty Uh, Don't turn to it now, but in 1 Samuel 10, it says this. It says, when he, this is Saul, and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came on him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. This is Saul, joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this that's happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? And so... You can see Saul was clearly anointed. He, he, uh, the Spirit of God was upon him. He was able to uh, prophesy. Saul was able to use um, and speak God's word with power. So without question, this, chat, this guy is, 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 is really, really gifted. Outwardly gifted. But the problem with Saul is it never really um, impacted him inwardly. 
He was never really inwardly transformed. He could prophesy for God, but he never really learned how to submit to God. He never really learned how to be um, obedient to God. He didn't pay attention to his heart. And so he became increasingly this empty shell. Saul um, had the presence of God in his life. As I said, he was physically impressive. He was strong. He had all the qualities that people look for in a leader. There's just this one key thing that he lacked. His heart was not in a great shape. Outward success, but inner emptiness. Saul's attention had been focused on all the wrong stuff. He'd neglected his heart. And so if we want to have healthy hearts, if we're wanting to have good hearts, if we're wanting to be men and women after God's own heart, um, that comes about when we pay attention to our hearts, when we guard our hearts, when we value our hearts over and above um, everything else. Proverbs 23, above all else, guard your heart. for Everything you do flows from that place. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So we need to be paying attention to the condition of our hearts. Um, the second thing is, and if we've got your Bible now, let's have a look at 1 Samuel chapter 13, and I'll read from this. The second thing is that a healthy heart, it comes about and it's formed um, when we're content... Um, when we're content to remain in the place that God has uh, called us to, when we're content um, to remain. Have a look at this story here from um, chapter 13, verse five. It says this, The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore as numerous as the sand on the seashore. <laughs> Biblical, not limericks, no. It's not a limerick, is it? What is it? Tongue twister. Limerick. There was a young man called Saul. I'll stop. Um, <laughs> anyway, okay, that's, none of that's in the Bible. Start again. The Philistine assembled, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of beth When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets, among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days. This is important. He waited seven days, which was the time set by Samuel. Samuel said he was going to come to see him in seven days. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went up to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you didn't come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines are going to come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had... 
He would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command. So Saul's, um, Saul's in trouble <laughs> uh, with Samuel. You don't want to get in trouble with Samuel. Um, and you read this and you're like, so what's the big deal uh, about Saul disobeying, you know, or not obeying uh, prophet, the prophet Samuel's command um, to wait for Samuel to arrive before offering the sacrifice? Why is this like, why is Samuel getting his knickers in a twist? Why does this matter so much? I think to understand why it matters, we need to remember that Israel was a theocracy. Okay, so it wasn't a republic. It's not a democracy. Everyone, it's not a place where everyone gets a vote. Uh, everyone gets a say. Israel is a theocracy at this point, and what that means is that the, it's the Lord God revealed, uh, revealing Himself by the name Yahweh, who is King and ruler of Israel. God's word was the law of the land. And it was the prophet who announced the word of the Lord. And everyone, even the king, was subject to the word of God. And unlike all the countries around them, Israel never deified their kings. The king was there and was seen as a servant of God, pretty much just along with everybody else. They were all there to serve the, God, the Lord. And even though he was the king, he was still required to submit himself in obedience to the word of God. So Saul's problem here really is that he was disobedient. He stepped out, if you like, from under the word of God and he chose to act independently as if God's word didn't mean anything. And he's like, that's all a bit harsh. You know, it is. Um, to add insult to injury, Saul violated in this kind of act, in this thing that he's chosen to do, he, he's, he's violated the, the Old Testament separation between the role of the king on the one hand and the role of a priest on the other. So Saul is the king, but by doing what he's done, he's taken on the role of priest in terms of offering sacrifices to God. And um, that wasn't acceptable. It's like Saul's not content with his lot in life. And, and Saul had quite a lot. So you could argue that he should have been content. But it wasn't enough for him. He, he basically wasn't satisfied with the place that God had put him. He wasn't content to just remain in the place that God had called him to. And a good heart, healthy hearts are formed when we are content to remain in that place that God has called us to. Saul was not content with just being king. Saul also wanted to be God's priest. The king wasn't free to, to mix political and religious power. It's, it's basically you know, separation of church and state. Saul can be a king, but he can't also be a priest. And in the Bible, in the, in, in the scriptures, there's only one person who can be entrusted with that role of both priest and king, and his name is Jesus Christ. You see, it's only Jesus who's 
free from all of the corruption of sin. It's only Jesus who's free from like selfish ambition. It's only Jesus who will always use power in order to serve and not be served. It's only Jesus who can be king of kings. And only Jesus who can enter the role of priest. See it in Hebrews. Um, And as priest, Jesus is both the sacrifice and the offerer of the sacrifice. So what does all of this complicated story mean for us? Well, if we're wanting our hearts to stay pure, if we're wanting to grow healthy hearts, our job, first and foremost, is to submit and surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As Mike was saying, you know, if anyone's here and they don't, they haven't yet given their lives to Jesus, they haven't yet said, you are in charge. I want to hand over the the reins, as it were, of my life to you. Then we need to do that. We need to be first and foremost submitting and surrendering our lives to following Jesus. For those of us who've known Jesus for for a, a while longer, this is about obedience. And this is about being obedient, not just in like one or two areas, not just picking and choosing like which bits of our lives we want to be obedient to God in, but choosing to be obedient to him in every area of our lives. Whether that's related to our career choices, whether that's um, when we're going to accept job promotions, whether that's about where we're going to live, just on and on and on. All these decisions all have to be submitted and surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And there are lots of us. We call ourselves followers of Jesus, but we sometimes live these little bits whereby we want to live independently of God's leading and God's direction and God's authority. We, we live as if we've got some um, independent authority to determine the sort of the, the hows and the whats and the wheres of how and where and when we're going to use any particular gifts or talents that we may have. And what Saul didn't understand and what we need to understand is that we are called to submit all of it to the lordship of Jesus Christ. All things. And that includes amongst a whole host of very many things, you know, like where we live and um, where we work and who we date or whatever it is, I don't know. Just endless things. You know, God may make you um, a king. God may make you a priest. He might make you a pastor. Um, if you've been bad in a previous life, um, he might put you, that's heretical, but um, just throwing it out there, see if you're awake. Um, he might put you behind the counter in Starbucks, you know, um, he might make you the caretaker of a school, I don't know, you, you might be an investment broker, you might be a broke investor, I have no idea what it is that God has called you to, in terms of what you do, but this healthy heart, this good heart, is formed when, we, when we're content to remain in that place that God has called us to, wherever it may be. And, and sometimes that may be a little bit uncomfortable. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to find a new job. I'm not saying it's wrong to desire to earn more money. It's not, I'm not saying it's wrong to desire or want to live in the country. You know, or I'm not saying it's wrong to date the only chap who's shown any interest in you for months or whatever. But when we're looking at these sort of decisions about life, the, the focus of our job hunt, you know, the focus of our house hunt, the focus of our man hunt, it always ought to be, first and foremost, Lord, where can I glorify you the most? 
Where and how can I glorify you the most? Lord, what and where is the best place for me to serve you in? Not serve my own purposes. You know, Lord, what's happening in this career decision or this move or this relationship? What's happening in this decision I'm about to make to the one thing that matters most to you? What's happening to my heart in this moment? Over and over again, we've, we've seen people um, they're serving the Lord, they're, they're in a place, they're, 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 their family and their lives, they're growing, they're flourishing, their hearts are being transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus, they're, they're being changed, they're being transformed, everything's going great guns, but sort of, suddenly things kind of like the wheels come off, and like Saul, they, it's like, they suddenly become dis- discontented all of a sudden, with that place of service or with that place that they find themselves in and sort of suddenly it's like it's not enough anymore and they they kind of start looking over the fence and you know there's much greener grass in that field over there and they start saying to themselves well you know like i'd be much happier if only i lived over there you know i'd be much happier if i if i if i worked over there i'd be much happier if I, i i went out with this this guy or this girl who comes from over there sometimes i think we just get bored uh, sometimes I think we are uncomfortable because like, God's on our case and he's trying to do something in us. He's trying to grow us and stretch us. Uh, sometimes I think we just get envious of um, what other people have and the way their lives look. And it looks like it's so cushy and so easy and cushy over there. I, I want some of that. But the truth of the matter is, is that in all of these things, we need to be focusing in on our hearts and what the Lord is doing in that moment with our Hearts. Is God in this moment wanting to do something in me? Is he wanting to do something in my heart? If my heart is being transformed, if God is on my case, even though it might be a little bit uncomfortable, the, the truth is how could I possibly be discontented in that place? How could I be discontented even if the circumstances aren't actually that exciting? Even if the circumstances are actually potentially quite challenging? So there's something about a good heart being formed when we're content to remain in this place that God has called us to. Here's the third principle. A good heart is formed when we learn to obey God, even when God isn't working to our preferred timescales. I was watching Lord of the Rings last night, and um, you know, it's that bit where Frodo, Gandalf arrives, you know, and Frodo says, you know, you're late. And the wizard says, the wizard is never late. You know, we arrive just exactly when we're supposed to. And it's a bit like, like that with God. You know, we're all like, he's late, he's late. A very important date. He's not. He just shows up at exactly the right time. Have a look at 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 11 to 12. Um, Samuel says to Saul, what have you done? And Saul says, well, I saw that the men were scattering and that you didn't come at the set time. Samuel, your fault. And that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. I've not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. And if we're wanting to pay attention to our hearts, we're, we're going to have to work out ways of obeying God even when he doesn't appear to be working according to our timescales. I'm sure none of you know what that's like. You know, why was Saul so severely condemned by the prophet Samuel? Um, Along with disregarding God's word, along with usurping the role of priest, 
um, Saul was condemned because effectively he held the view that he couldn't wait any longer for God to come through. He couldn't wait any longer for God to act on his behalf. So Saul determines that God isn't actually going to come through for him, that God is not a good God. He is not a good father. Samuel's late or dead in a ditch somewhere or wherever Samuel is. His prophets are so unreliable, right? Um, So it's always back to me. I'm going to have to fix this problem for myself. I'm going to have to solve this problem for myself. I'm going to have to make things happen. And this is a fundamental character flaw in Saul. Because when things look like they're not going to work out, according to the promises of God, Saul takes things into his own hands. And, And Saul is a type in Scripture of what it looks like for us to rely on ourselves and lean on our own understanding to rely on our own plans, to have a backup in place, you know, when God, just in case God doesn't come through. Uh, Saul is a type of what happens when we take back control of our lives rather than trusting and relying on God. Um, Those of us who have uh, possible tendencies towards control freakery, um, hypothetically speaking, need to pay attention to the life of Saul. Uh, because we're at risk of fixing things. Um, trusting in God is a big thing for the Lord. This matters to him. Uh, trust is a huge issue for God. He really, really counts trusting in him as being important. Hebrews 11 says this, Without faith it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You see, God wants us to believe with all of our hearts that he is good, that he is a good God, that he is a good father, that he has good gifts for his children, that his plans are for us. He has good things for us. God wants us to believe with all of our hearts that he is not a thief, that he has not come to rip us off, that he has not come to rob, steal, and destroy. That's the job of the enemy. That's not who God is. That's not who our Heavenly Father is. That his plans for our lives are that our lives should be full and abundant and absolutely the best possible lives that we could lead. That his will and his intent is designed to bless us. God wants us to believe with all of our hearts that if we obey him, that if we pursue him, that he will hold up his end of the bargain concerning us. And um, it may not turn out the way that we envisioned our lives would be. Uh, it, it, may not, it may not be our dream for our lives. It, it may not include uh, material wealth. It may not include fast cars or 10 acres of land or 2.2 children or whatever. But God will fulfill his plans and his purposes in our lives if we will step out of the way and allow him to, if we trust him. God wants to form and shape and mold and transform our hearts. See, God is after people, unlike Saul here, who who can be put in pressurized situations. This is a seriously stressful situation Saul's in, right? They're they're looking sort of down the barrel of a gun. Um, But he's putting... He wants people to be in pressurized situations. Uh, they might be stressed. They might be pressurized. They might even be happy. In fact, like right at that moment, I imagine Saul was feeling pretty miserable. 
And yet he is wanting people who in that moment will still choose to trust in God and rely on him rather than by trying to make something happen by themselves. Are our hearts strong enough that we're able to trust God's timing in our lives? You know, or do we typically have to try and make something happen on our own? It's a huge test of our hearts. You know, Saul was being tested here. As I said, he's right up against it. The Philistine soldiers, they're as numerous as the sand. The Israelites are terrified. They're quaking with fear. Their lives are flashing before them. And, and what happens is Saul then is driven to fear himself. He too is afraid. And because of the fear, because the fear takes over, rather than his trust in his heavenly father, he takes matters into his own hands. And the consequences are devastating. This is like seriously major repercussions. Have a look at verse 13. Samuel says to him, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. These are serious consequences for barbecuing a sheep. The Lord is saying, what the Lord is saying is like, wait. There's actually an invitation from the Father here. He's just saying, wait, like, be still and know that I am God. Don't be in a hurry to make things happen in your own time. Don't be so quick or so eager to make things happen according to your best laid plans. I will come through for you. I've got your back. I am seeing and watching what's going on in your life. Be patient. Just hang on in there. I am coming. You will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Just wait. Scripture is full of waiting. And Saul um, couldn't wait. And he didn't wait. And as a result, he lost the kingdom and he lost a whole host of other things. Besides, he, he missed out on God's best for him because of this impatience and this disobedience. And we constantly have our hearts regularly tested by the Lord around this whole kind of area of obedience. Are we going to say yes to Jesus? You know, life is like a constant series of decisions of just saying yes to Jesus. In all the small things, in all the details. You know, are we going to say yes to Jesus um, even if we don't know how things can possibly turn out well just by saying yes? It looks like everything is going to pot, but I'm going to choose to trust my heavenly Father. And the the invitation from our Father is, will you trust me right now? Right now, in whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation, no matter how bleak and how difficult and how impossible, no matter how terrified you are, no matter how many Philistines are running down the hill, no matter how much your temptation to hide in cisterns and pits and rocks and behind rocks and caves, to run in the opposite direction. The Lord is saying, will you trust me on this? Will you wait just a moment longer? Will you follow me? Will you fully obey me? Even though right now you can't see, you can't understand 
how obeying me is going to turn out good and well for you? Are we paying attention to our hearts? Are we guarding our hearts above all else because it determines the course of our lives? Are we content to remain in the places that God has called us to? Are we, um, are we learning to obey God, even if it seems like God isn't working like at all uh, sometimes? Certainly not according to our time frame and our time scales and our plans. These are some of the things that I think that we uh, need to have before us and be thinking about and seeking the Lord on if we're wanting to develop and grow healthy hearts. Because the Lord is fixing his eyes, he's fixing his attention, his passion, and his, his heart is turned towards our hearts. Right? Our circumstances are less of an issue for him, I think. The condition and the state of our hearts is of paramount importance. Why don't you stand? And we'll minister to one another.